If you have your Bible, let's go together to the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. For a couple of weeks now, we've been looking at the account of the encounter uh, the Samaritan woman had when she found Jesus at the well resting. After traveling on foot with his disciples, Jesus was weary, and he'd sent them into town for food. Something else, though, he also knew this woman would be coming for water. And he knew that she needed the living water that only he could give her. And what we see leading up to verse 27, where we're going to be today, is really a good example of how to lead someone to the truth of the gospel. How do you do that? How do you point someone to the truth of the gospel? How do you lead them to an opportunity to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll see Jesus do that. I mentioned last week that the narrative here in John 4 isn't explicit that this woman believed in Jesus and was born again, but I think we'll see that the way the account unfolds following verse 26 would lead us to see that she did believe in Jesus as a result of the exchange that he had with her. Uh, The point of chapter 4, I I pointed to this a couple of weeks ago, the point of chapter 4 is found in verse 26. Uh, The Samaritan woman has responded to Jesus' statement about the question of worship, that worship wasn't about one of place, it wasn't one of where one should worship, but it's a question of how one should worship. I pointed to this last week. True worship is worship that comes from the heart. And she responds to Jesus showing that she really doesn't see who he is yet with the statement in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things, she said to Jesus. And Jesus responded by revealing to her who he is with this wonderful and powerful statement. It's a wonderful statement because it must have caught her by surprise Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I know Messiah is coming. He'll explain to us these things about worship and such. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I would like to have seen her face. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I who speak to you am he. Well... Not only was she surprised, but we're going to see their surprise all around for everyone but Jesus. The disciples return while Jesus is speaking to this woman, and they're surprised. Let me remind you that John is helping us see that Jesus is God in human flesh. John wants us to see, along with all the other readers of his gospel, who Jesus is. He is God in human flesh, and he wants us to believe in him, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote that in John 20 and verse 31, and it really sums up the big idea of this whole gospel. So we're going to go to verse 27 this morning, and I want to look at verses 27 through 30 today, and I want to think about the pointers that we see here to Jesus' deity 
and lessons we learn about how anyone comes to saving faith in Jesus. When we read this passage, we're going to see some surprise at how Jesus is working. We may even catch ourselves being surprised at how Jesus works at times. But if we'll fix our hearts in faith on God, I think if we'll look to his word in faith, look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, we're going to find ourselves far less surprised at how Jesus worked then and how Jesus still works today. So as we come to verse 27, Jesus has just told the woman at the well that he's the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. I'm the Christ. Now follow along as I read from the English Standard Version beginning at verse 27, John 4. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's note something I pointed to last week about how Jesus is doing his work. It may surprise us. It seems to have surprised his disciples. But Jesus took the time. He made the time. And he made himself available to one individual, one person in need. Does it surprise you that Jesus would make time for this woman when you learn about her past and her present? Does it surprise you that Jesus would make time for her? Can you see the surprise of the disciples? Verse 27 says they, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But we should note this, and, and we should not be surprised by this, because we see, it, we see it in Jesus' example several times in the Gospels. Jesus was all about tearing down barriers to the life-changing, life-transforming, wonderful news of the saving gospel. Jesus was all about tearing down any barrier to the gospel, anything that was in the way of sharing the truth of the gospel with people who desperately needed to hear the truth. Now, it might be one thing in their minds, the disciples' minds, for Jesus to have asked this woman for a drink of water, parched and wearied and hungry as he was, and and they were, I'm sure, from their travels. But a conversation with a woman in public was surprising to them. Note that the Apostle John doesn't tell us they're surprised that he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. He doesn't say they're surprised He's speaking to a sinner such as this. He tells us they marveled that he was talking with a woman. You can see it there in the text. And about this, Bible commentator Leon Morris writes, No rabbi would have carried on a conversation with a woman. One of their sayings ran, A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn. 
not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman, on account of what men may say. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus didn't care what people would say because he loves people. And he's concerned about this woman who, in fact, he was planning to meet at the well when she came for water as he knew she was because he knows everything about everyone. He's God in human flesh. So the disciples arrive and can't believe they're seeing Jesus speaking with a woman. That was remarkable in itself, but Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo, was he? He wasn't afraid to change things up, change anything up that hindered his purpose for being here on earth. Jesus' purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And whatever Jesus does has good reason. He has good reason for doing. And here's a pointer to the deity of Jesus. I told you that we were going to see these pointers to, to who Jesus is, God in human flesh. Here's one of those pointers to the deity of Jesus, the arrival of his disciples at just the moment he's telling the Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah is no coincidence. Had they come earlier, they may have interrupted the witness and the work of Jesus in this woman's life. Had they come later, they would have missed him sharing the gospel with a woman and a Samaritan, an individual also with a seriously damaged reputation. And Jesus has just told this woman what she needs to know to be saved. She needs to hear the truth of the gospel. And at the same time, he's given a clear illustration to his disciples and to us. We ought to take note of this. That salvation is offered to all mankind. Salvation is offered to all mankind. We ought not play favorites about who we share the gospel with. We ought to be convicted with this truth today, that God loves our neighbors. And we ought to also. God loves our co-workers, and we ought to also. If you're a student, school, young person, God loves your friends, and you ought to love them in the Lord enough to share the gospel with them. We, we ought to be thinking about those people that God has put us next to in our lives. Because God loves people, and he wants us to learn to love people like he does, enough to share the gospel with them. Well, Jesus' disciples may have shown their prejudice against this woman with the look on their faces, but they knew better than to ask. We see it here in the text. They didn't ask, what do you seek to the woman? And they didn't ask Jesus, why are you talking with her? They knew better. They may have thought it strange, but they didn't say it. Look at what happens next. Verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. So, uh, interesting, just a side note, just an interesting point here that she left her water jar. You notice that, right? She left her water jar. 
Did she leave it so Jesus could have the drink that he'd asked for? Uh, Was she absent-minded? Did she leave it because it was too heavy to carry back while I'm guessing she was running back? (laughs) Because of what we see, she tells the townspeople. Did she leave it because she planned to return? And I would say it's possible the answer to all those questions is yes. (laughs) She certainly could have left it as a courtesy to Jesus, but I think there's more to it than that. I think this is the first pointer to her conversion. Why? Was she absent-minded in leaving the water pot? Yes. Why? I think that she was absent-minded because I believe she'd come to faith in Jesus and she had far more important things to do than worry about a, a pot for which she had brought to gather water for the day. She knew she could come back and get that. But what she had now was good news. And she realized that that was far more important. I think she was absent-minded about the pot because she was thinking about people who needed to hear who she met. Verses 28 and 29 say, She went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's absent-minded because she's, she's got good news. And when you've been transformed by Christ, you just have to tell others. Have you been transformed by Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you realize that if you've trusted Jesus, he has transformed you and he has given you his spirit and he has taken up residence in you so you will not stay the same way you were before Christ? If you look at your life, You ought to be overwhelmed that God is gracious to you and transforming you. And that ought to compel you to want to be like this woman who ran back to town to tell people who she met. Did she leave the water pot because it was too heavy to carry while running back to town? Yeah, I think so. It was no small pot. She would have had to carry it on her head or or her shoulder, and she was in a hurry. Again, she has good news to tell. Did she leave the water pot because she's coming back? Yes. (laughs) She's coming back. She's coming back to hear more from Jesus, and she's hoping others will come back with her, and she'll get the water pot then. And here's another pointer to her salvation, I think. Note what happens when Jesus saves you. Something implied by her actions We see it in this Samaritan woman's actions. It's a small town, remember? And everybody likely knew all about this woman's lifestyle. They know that she's had five husbands. They know she's in an illicit relationship even now. And where does she go? She doesn't keep this news to herself. She takes off to town and she heads straight to the people that she's been avoiding. Why does she do that? Here's also a reminder for us of the deity of Jesus. Why does she leave the water pot and run back to town to tell people that she's been avoiding about the person she's met? I think she does that because her guilt is gone. 
Think of it. Her guilt and shame are gone. How do we know? Look at what she says in verse 29. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Do you think she ever walked around town telling people all the things she ever did or even suggesting that anyone might know the things that she ever did? I don't think so. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Before Jesus gently pointed to her sinful lifestyle, she'd been trying to avoid these people. Before Jesus, God in flesh, the Word made flesh, pierced her soul with the truth. Before the Lord Jesus Christ brought her to the point where she had to deal with her sinfulness, In the sad state of her life, she'd gone out of her way to avoid all the guilt and shame she could. She had tried hard to avoid all the guilt and shame of her life. She needed to experience the guilt and the shame, though. You realize that before you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to realize that you're a sinner? You need to realize that you desperately need to be saved? She needed to experience the guilt and shame of her sin, yes, before she'd come to a point of repentance. But now, I think, she's repentant. And that's why the guilt and shame are gone. That's why I think she's not bashful about running back to town to tell people who she met. And that's a pointer also to the deity of Jesus, because only God can take away the guilt and shame of sin. You know, the devil likes to remind us that we're sinners, even if you know you've been forgiven. But if you fix your eyes on Christ, you'll often be reminded there's no room for guilt and shame in your life anymore because the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. You've been saved. You've been made new. He's given you the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you the church. But I think what we need to realize here is that unbelievers need to often hear about the truth of the gospel, the whole truth of the gospel, that were it not for their sins, Jesus Christ would not have needed to go to the cross. Sinners need to be saved. Sinners need to come to a point of repentance. They need to realize they're sinners in need of a Savior. But, you know, some preach today that there's no need for guilt. Some would say uh, that Jesus is all about love and loving people. And you've heard me say that, but you also know the gospel also points to this truth that we're sinners in need of repenting. There's no need for repentance, just believe, some say. Just have faith, some say. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's also not a new problem. Charles Spurgeon spoke of this same problem in the year 1882 when he said this about the passage that we're looking at today. Note what he says, If any teacher leads you to hope that without repentance or any sense of sin you may be saved, he is not of Christ. I charge you, fling away any hope which is not consistent with your own entire hopelessness apart from Jesus. If you have not known yourself a sinner, you cannot know Christ as a Savior. Some are preaching nowadays a dry-eyed faith 
And men seem to jump into assurance as if there were no new birth, no conviction of sin, and no repentance. But it is not so. You must be born again. That birth is not without pangs. Trust in Christ brings a hatred of sin and a mourning because of it. A man cannot hate what he does not know. But this woman was made to see her sin, and that sight proved that the Messiah was dealing with her. The non-repentance prophets cry, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. They cover the sore, but Jesus puts the knife into it, lays it wide open, and makes the patient see the gangrene of the wound. And then he closes it up, and with his heavenly ointment, makes a sure cure of it. There is no binding up the heart that was never broken. There is no comforting a man who has always been comfortable. There is no making a man righteous who always was righteous. There is no washing a man who has no filthiness. No, and this is what the Messiah does. He lays bare the disease, and this is a proof that he is sent of God because he does not adopt the flimsy, flattering mode of deceivers, but goes straight to the truth. Her argument is, he must be the Messiah, for he revealed me to myself. And I think Spurgeon is right. I think the woman at the well was born again and had received the living water because now her guilt and shame over her sin, they're gone. And only God's healing work of regeneration can do that. Only God can do that. Only God can remove the sin and guilt of our, the, the shame and guilt of our sin. And what does she do? She hurries to town and she goes to tell the very people that she's been avoiding that she, she had met someone that they need to meet. They should come see a man who told me all that I ever did, she says. And not until she met Jesus and believed and had received the living water and had been relieved of her guilt, the guilt and shame of her sin, would she have said anything like that before. So she runs back to tell the townspeople, he told me all that I ever did. And this too is a demonstration of Jesus' deity. He's God in human flesh. Only the Messiah could know all the things she'd ever done. Now, I certainly don't believe that Jesus recounted every last detail of her sinful life back to her. But he obviously knew enough of the sordid details of her life that she could only conclude that he knew all of it. It's like when you uh, have a close call and you say, my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> and Jesus didn't recount every detail of her life to her, but he reveals enough that she, she knew that he knew every secret of her history and her life flashed before her eyes. <laughs> she realized he knew all the sin that she'd ever done and only God can know that. The light has dawned on her. Only God can know these things. Now here's something else that got her attention, probably just as remarkable to her as uh, what we've seen before was that not only did this man know her sinful secrets, think about this, not only did he know everything about her sinful past, 
and her sinful present. But he's willing to talk with her. Remember the surprise of the disciples? She's surprised too. He's willing to talk with her. And even more, he offered her the living water that will become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so as a result of her telling the people about this man who knew all about her and posing the question, can this be the Christ? Verse 30 says, the people responded and they they went out of the town and were coming to him. They wanted to meet this person, this woman told them about. And the idea expressed here is that this was a large number of people. It's not just a handful of people. So how did this woman who had such a bad reputation gather such a response? Well, it's interesting. She, she didn't go emphatically stating that this man was someone they had to go meet and that he is the Messiah. I think she believed that, but she doesn't say it that way. No, she stated it as a question. Can this be the Christ, she said. Can this be the Christ? She poses a question that makes them think. And you might think if she was convinced about who Jesus is, even converted, why did she not make an emphatic statement that this is the Christ? I think she probably realized that they'd reject her claim because of who she was. They'd reject her claim outright like that uh, you know, from the, this woman who's had five husbands and has uh, an illicit relationship with another man now. She, they're not going to listen to her. She, she probably reasoned. But if she poses a question, she just might convince some to investigate and learn for themselves that this is the Messiah, to come and see. And that was effective because many went with her to see Jesus. And verse 39 says... Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. Her testimony. Are you surprised at how Jesus works sometimes? Are you surprised at how God chooses to work in the hearts of unbelievers? Don't be surprised. Jesus was willing to wait for this woman. He's willing to speak with this woman. He's patient with her. He answers her questions and even takes her questions and turns them back to point her to the truth she so desperately needs to hear about who he is. He was gentle with her. He made time for this one woman who who many others had written off, I'm sure, And the living water, the new life, the forgiveness of sins that was hers was hers because Jesus gave it to her. And God used her witness to bring many more people to himself. Consider that. Think of that when you think, I'm not sure that person would really care to hear the gospel from me today. Or heaven forbid we think, They'll never listen. Or we think they don't deserve to hear the gospel. That's not what Jesus would say. Look at Jesus' example here. And watch how he witnesses to this woman. And watch him as he's patient 
and gracious and consider that this is how God wants us to share the gospel. This is how God wants us to live in this world in which we live. And that he wants us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone who will listen. And that we ought not be picky and choosy about who we share the gospel with. We ought to just look for opportunities. And ask God for the words to say. Ask God for wisdom. And yes, you ought to pray that he will help you learn to be patient with people who don't respond. That you would pray for them. That you would share the gospel with them. That you would live the truth of the gospel before them. We see these truths today. And I trust these truths will encourage, challenge, and instruct our hearts.